2: Hi, everyone. This is Raul Pal, the CEO and co-founder of Real Vision. And welcome to my podcast. Every week, I'm lucky enough to speak to tons of smart and innovative people in the financial game. I get so much insight from these conversations, and that's why I wanted to start this podcast, so I can share that knowledge with you. I hope you learn from the discussions, and you can always find more in-depth content at realvision.com. Enjoy the show. Kira, so welcome. You know,
1: This is the first time I've been asked Mm -hmm. to to do one of these. And um, as my first guest, I couldn't think of anyone better than you. And the reason is, is um, in full disclosure, we've known each other for nearly a decade. Um, I have tremendous respect for you. And I feel like you never go out there and beat your chest and say, look at me, look at how great the things I am that I'm doing, but you're doing all these amazing things behind the scenes. And so I wanted to make sure that we could use this moment to sort of shine a light on someone who I think is doing a tremendous amount of work behind the scenes. And so without further ado, do you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Who are you? Sure. What do you do? And a little bit about your background.
0: That's a very existential question. Who am I? Um, so my name is Kira Byrne, and I'm the vice president of new business innovation at Condé Nast. Um, so Condé Nast is the company that, that runs Vogue, GQ, Wired, Vantage Fair. Ars Technica, Pitchfork, just to name a few. Um, and I've been in this role for coming up eight years now.
1: So I'm a little biased, as you could see behind me. Like mm. I spent the first 12 years of my career at Condé Nast. I interned there twice. Um, since you've been at Condé Nast, what roles have you held and what roles do you currently have? Just to give people little ideas to sort of yeah. what you've done and, and where you come from.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, I joined Content Ad from Google, actually. So I worked in Google for five years. i had worked in the main kind of section of the business on uh, AdWords and YouTube. And then I moved to this tiny team. It was an acquisition and it was maybe like six people. And it was this amazing experience of seeing when Google, you know, the inflection points that Google needs to see in order to really invest and grow a business and the levers that it pulls. So when you know it was a very new type of advertising called pro- programmatic advertising, um, and you know you went from this 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 team that it was very you know it was easy to sell. There wasn't any real competitors to an AdWords, but with this there was a lot of competitors. So it was a, a very different skill set needed, and we built the product as we were selling it, and and then it became DoubleClick a part of DoubleClick. This 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 huge team. So I got to see all, all those moments and it was completely fascinating. And uh, then I left there and I really wanted to move into more creative industries. I have a background and um, I was a pianist up until the age of 25, um, which I stopped. Um, but I have a huge respect for the creative process and and, the, and then the, the love and the heartbreak that goes into it. So I really wanted to get into a more creative industry. And I joined Conlinast. Um Naturally, I wasn't, you know, high up on the list for Vogue to hire at that point, um, coming from, like, programmatic tech ad sales. So um, I joined something that I felt really passionate about, you know, Ars Technica, which is a a very technology-driven and cerebral um, platform that has, you know, a lot of Web3 elements within it, actually. There's an amazing community that you feel a, a huge responsibility towards. Um, under this wonderful team of some of the smartest people I've worked with um, and ranging from, you know, from reporting on on, on Bitcoin to to, to to science and economics and mechanics and engineering. It was completely fascinating. So I was sales director there for two years and then I moved across to the newly formed Common Ask International was where we were trying to merge all of our different teams around the world. You know, we realized that every team had a data team or, you know, or, or these kind of replica teams, whereas we wanted to create something that was centralized to allow us to share best practices and not be duplicating the work across all these all these different teams. So I joined the Conde International team in one of those, you know, types of titles, um, special projects or strategic initiatives, you know, one of those types don't really mean anything. Um, and I ran a lot of different projects and hired teams and ran, you know, a HR team, and then I ran an editorial team I wrote the Code of Conduct, which was our answer to the sexual harassment uh, within the industry that changed forever the age of the models uh, that we were going to be featuring across every single title around the world. And then and then I was asked to set up an incubator. So I set up the new business innovation, essentially trying to find new businesses away from advertising using design thinking. And that's what I've been doing since, really, for the last four years. So I love all of this, and I, there's so much to unpack here. But I want to go back to the fact
1: that you you joined originally with Ars Technica, so uh, I I ran Ars as you know for a few years alongside with with Wired, and uh, there's no brand that probably is more instrumental in my thinking about Web three right than ours. Um, what oh I saw gosh. for the first time ever was a distinction between audience and community. I think that you know you felt the same way. I found mm-hmm. that um, Ken. The editor-in-chief and the founder of ours is one of the smartest people i've ever worked with and um a lot of the practices that we put in for timepieces was actually born from the strategies that ours took which was hiring mm. from within the community right and um i guess you know like one of the things that you skipped and i was surprised you skipped and and i love it i love this type of conversation because while you and i have known each other for so long like i didn't realize you did certain things that you just outlined there but you also launched vogue business now I did, yes. <laughs> and, and you've yeah, been very instrumental so, in the Web three expansion, no?
0: Yeah, yeah. So we launched Vogue Business four four years ago, which was you know a challenging model for for Common Ask. Um, but you know, one of the three pillars that we wanted to launch was this intersection between fashion and technology, and that kept leaning towards you know digital fashion and wearable wearables and metaverse type experiences, and this is all before the word metaverse was around or web three was around. We were just writing about it. And then it subsequently became, you know, this place that was really supportive in, in identifying these new creators and and telling their 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 stories. Um, so yeah, the team there have really been leading the charge on reporting and and really insightful reporting by fashion and web three. So okay, but here's here's
1: the thing, because I said this to you privately and I and I actually I actually don't mind saying this publicly, right? When I heard that Vogue Business was being launched, like my first reaction was like, come on, right? Um, and and I, look, I'm a true Winston Churchill believer of, of, I've never gotten indigestion from eating my own words, right? <laughs> but I walked away from an event that you did the other night, like a few weeks ago with you know, G Money and Vogue Business. And I said to a bunch of people, um, for the first time in, in many, many years, I left Conde in 2014. I was truly floored at how progressive and innovative, you know, Vogue business was and where it was going. And, you know, like a lot of great content has come out of it. Can you like take us through? I mean, if you came to me and you're like, I have this idea for Vogue business, I'd be like, come on, can you give me back 10 other ideas? Like it couldn't have been that easy to green light this. Like, how did mm-hmm. this come
0: about? No, it wasn't really. Um, well, we kept finding these you know these opportunities around b two b events and um like advisory. and nothing was you know properly productized. So you know, I, I started first identifying the types of people that we wanted to serve. So students, we had so many different types of products wrapped into vote business that we ended up like removing. Uh, So students and professionals and creatives and really understanding understanding what their, their needs were and creating content based off that and testing in under this. So we created this false brand called Perspective because obviously everybody was nervous about Vogue business coming out. So we created this false brand, just ran it and no one knew necessarily that it was Vogue doing it or coming out. Um, and you know the best the best uh, defense obviously is success. and in, in, if you don't have success, then you have data. So ga- so gathering the stories through through the data and understanding people were loving the long reads. they were loving the insights and the data driven aspects of this you know graphs and more you know um, really diving into earning calls and and then the technology side and sustainability was something we felt really powerfully about you know at that time, the president of Canada, was Wolfgang Blau, that was completely passionate about climate change and sustainability, is is, do, is working in that space now. And we want to make that one of the pillars, really start to hold a bit of a mirror up to the industry and help them and um, to understand how they can make their, their businesses more sustainable. So we really tried out all this different type of content. And at the end, find out, you know, this, the content and these are the kind of business models that we can, we can be, be building off. One thing I, you know, I like about someone like, you know, Elon Musk, the way he builds a business is it's with this really lofty idea. And then they understand actually how to productize that idea and they understand how to commercialize it. And for us, it was, you know, we wanted to help make, help people make better business decisions. We're like, how can we break that down in in, in the product? Um, and we I had a great supporter in Jonathan Newhouse. I'm not sure if you ever got to work with, but he's just, you know, he's a pro. He really, ex, he expanded Conde uh, into all these other markets, has such an understanding for content development and storytelling and um, that he has a brilliant, you know, um, instinctive relationship between creative and business that he just navigates these two sometimes contrary, you know, ways of working. So I got to work with him and, you know, and he kind of guided me as well as we, as we created it. And then we just found brilliant, brilliant people. Like the, the editor in chief of the Times, Lauren, Lauren Indovic, who now has left and gone to the Financial Times. She was just brilliant. So it's kind of just finding the right people, keeping the team really small and testing into it. And so you sort of like,
1: saw response rates to positive sort of web three content, which has sort of led it to the coverage it does today. Is that sort of how it went? Was you just yeah, wrote, exactly. so you wrote an article and it was like, wow, like look at how good it is. Let's write two articles. Let's write three. Like what is, how did like, because it's really good web three content and it's, it's actually shockingly good at web three content. And so like, how did it sort of inch its way into that world?
0: Well, you know, Lauren felt strongly that she had found the right person in Megan McDowell, and I couldn't agree with her more. So she she was the one that was really pushing this, you know, Megan's way of looking at the world, and the Web three content really just came it, it came from from Megan and her curiosity and her ability to 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 create a narrative around Web three and make it meaningful to the fashion industry and. Um, it just kept getting, you know, gaining more and more strength, and I think it was really last year that it just took off completely. And um, but it was credit to it's credit to Megan who's really driven, and she's now hired somebody on her team called Maddie who's been running space. But as the rest of the team are learning about the areas as well, so so that they can report on it.
1: So so. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think Megan has done an amazing job in terms of the coverage. But okay, so this is what my can I give a perception and can I get sort of like a take from you on my perception? I can be totally wrong on this, but I felt like when I saw this event that you did between Condé Nast and Vogue Business and G-Money, right, Um, I, I saw it as a really wonderful sort of natural and complimentary fit. I saw an industry with Condé Nast that is really sexy and cool and is essentially a cultural tastemaker sort of elevating and supporting sort of a technological evolution, right? That was being led, you know, in a complimentary fashion by someone who launched a sort of Web3 initiative into sort of your world. And it felt like, Conde was learning from G and G was learning from Conde Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Take us through the path of like your Conde Nast. I'm biased. Of course, I'm biased. I have to admit that I'm biased because I had so many good years there. Right. But like you have all these storied brands. How do you start thinking about Web3 across your portfolio? Because you can't do it holistically. The brands are all very unique. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do you start thinking about it? And what have you been excited about? For what Conde's done so far.
0: So I think that was one of my early learnings. I brought some people on to help me understand how to launch Web3 and brands. And my early learning was like nobody can help me really. Like as in you have to build a right? Yeah, to and it's really liberating, you know, because it has to be authentic to the brand, which means you have to bring the team down the rabbit hole, which, as we all know, is time consuming and it's and it, you know. You have, to, you, have to have a, you have to have an optimistic view to innovate. So you have to make sure that the person you're bringing in is, is, is at least optimistic and, and, and open and curious. Um, so I think it was it was a case of breaking down. This is what I would say. I try and make the technology invisible and focus on the behaviors. So the behaviors of Web3 are the same behaviors that we've always seen. And actually what common ass is doing in Web3 is the same things we've always done to a certain degree. It's, you know, identifying creatives. It's um, supporting them by featuring them on our platforms and telling their, their their stories. It's it's all the things that we've always done. It's just like fashion in Web three is the same as fashion Web two. It's all about self expression and displaying that self expression. It's just it's it's being featured in a, in a different way. And um, so when it came to like looking at our brands, it was we did a piece of research. It's the first place I I always start is understanding where people are, where our audience are, what what their needs are, and you know. I don't always believe that a product needs to solve a problem. I think it can fit a need, and um, so really finding what the needs were and how we could test into that for for Vogue and GQ, and um, um, we started really with GQ because uh, Will Will Welch is just this you know he's amazing. He's, he's an incredible human. Like <laughs> he's so caring and smart and thoughtful and considered and creative, and he he has this, he has an equally you know, like attracts like, all his team are the exact same. And they're just wonderful. So we started with the community side with them. And that was a really fun process to really start testing into what does, what does a community that's very, you know, that has this dialogue, what does that look like for, for GQ? And I, and I loved that experiment and it's, it's running, it's, the the community is wonderful um it's fun and you know focused on style and fashion we're going to be bringing more web three folks into it with some of the activity we're going to be doing in Q1 um and then for Vogue it was it was really working with the creatives in the space featuring them you know immersive storytelling trying to deconstruct storytelling that Vogue always does in like a Meta Ocean which is one which is um, an execution that we launched using Unreal Engine featuring 24 artists from around the world. And it was really beautiful. Like visually the aesthetics are super high quality and just identifying creators that might never, might might never get the opportunity to shine in in, in that particular way. Well, what else? Tell
1: me, I mean, I think it's fun because I don't think people realize to the extent, right, like Vogue and GQ, many people outside of Condé Nast don't realize that it's owned by the same company, right? And it's two totally Mm -hmm. different strategies. What's a brand that you would love to see come into Web3? I won't hold you to this. At Conde Nast,
0: I Conde Nast. Um. Well, obviously Wired.
1: Okay. And how would you see it come in?
0: Well, no, that's another question. Well, I'm I'm going to continue. And also Pitchfork, because uh, Pitchfork has that kind of thing that Ars Technica has, which is this like this real engaged audience that that the team feel a great level of responsibility for because there's this shared there's a shared ownership in the brand, you know. Um, so Pitchfork, I think, as well. Um, I think Glamour could do amazing things at supporting the narrative of women, uh, like representation in, in Web3, which I feel very, very passionate about. So basically all of them. Wait, but, wait, wait, wait. Can I give you my pitch? I'm going to give you a pitch first. right now. I, pitch. I, 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 maybe, I think
1: okay. that you should take Arc Digest in. Oh, and yeah. Partner with on Cyber and literally allow Arc Digest to have like skinned on cybers. Like, I I mean, every brand you have there is so unique and so different, right? And so mm-hmm. it's like how Glamour would come in would be so different than from how a GQ exactly. would come in versus how a Wired would come in. It's complex, right? It, it will take mm-hmm. a lot of time. But, but I mean, I look at something like Arc Digest and I'm like, wow, you know, everyone has collected in the collectible space, right? Everyone has collected all this art all these great sort of imagery. Uh, and it's like, wouldn't they want to have like an Arc Digest-approved <laughs> environment for, you know, like their their collections? So this is my pitch to
0: you. Okay, on like it, you. I'm going <laughs> to run with that now. No, I'm <laughs> gonna, I'll go on to Amy and be like, right, I've got a plan. <laughs> yeah, listen, I, think just, I think the Metaverse is is a trickier place. Like in one way, it's it's... it's exactly where we need to be because it's about the next generation of storytelling and the next generation of, 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 of interaction with your, with the person you're trying to tell the story to. I don't want to say reader or audience or community or yeah. whatever it might be, but the economic model is so uncertain. And obviously we've okay. got, you know, reality labs spending, what, four billion a quarter pushing forward, you know, VR and this metaverse um, experience. But I think, that the, the economic model is so uncertain for for the states that I feel actually we have the greatest right to play in. And um, so that's that's another element of how we can navigate around that or towards it.
1: Let me ask you this. Like what I know that you are a full on web three convert, because we've talked mm-hmm. about it. Like what is it that you love about Web Three? Like what is it that I mean, you know I don't have to be spending all my time in it, right? But I do because I, yeah. I just love it every day. And I find it endlessly fascinating. It's constantly moving. It moves at a pace that keeps me excited. But like, what is it that that has like captured your attention? And, and how did you even get into it? Like as a, for you personally, like what was your journey into Web3?
0: So I was actually on maternity leave and my husband got really into NFTs. I remember the first time he told me, um, we had a newborn baby and he was telling me about NFTs. And I was like, I just can't, like, I just can't deal with this conversation. And what what and was he was, telling you? What did he buy? Oh, just every night, like, oh, he bought, like, all, all the early, all the, you know, the CryptoPunks. And he was showing me this thing that he just bought for, like, it was yeah, you know, a mad amount at that point. Obviously nothing like it is now. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, here's me trying to, like, keep the child alive. And my, my husband's off buying JPEGs. <laughs> Um. So, but then, <laughs> he kept, but he kept oh, on
2: that.
1: I just want. I hope that that is the headline of this <laughs> this talk, which is I'm just trying to keep my child alive as my husband's buying JPEGs. Conversation <laughs> between Kira Byrne and Keith Gross.
0: <laughs> that's yeah, the best that's line. <laughs> it's true. It's all true. Like it actually, like when I think like the very first moment was the GameStop moment that I realized that something was changing. Remember that there's the whole movement around GameStop about yeah. community having this economic power. And obviously we know where that went, but it's a really interesting lesson, I think, for a lot of future NFT holders. So uh, my, my, my husband got me into it. He has this incredible nose for, for just what's authentic in, in the NFT space. And then I started really getting into it and really understanding it. And, and yeah, like yourself, kind of got hooked. I think, you know, years ago, I remember trying VR when I worked in Ars Technica and just the magic of it. I couldn't get over how wonderful it was and how beautiful it was. So I kind of had this. But, you know, obviously NFTs at that time and metaverse were completely different to me. So I started getting involved and, and getting into communities, and you know some of the initial ones like you know the world of women's and and boss beauties, particularly on on the women's side, and then like MFers. I I, I always loved that that community and Moonbirds, and um and then when I came back to Conde it was really then you know the way to I needed to break it down to a cultural perspective of why people should care about it beyond the technology of a token. I think that's when I even really got more into it the, the culture of like anti-established nature of it the culture of democratization and and, and the fairness of it the the putting the crater back into the heart of of this this economy I thought was just so powerful um and when when you know you know when you start listening to more podcasts and people talking about it, you just realize that there's you know web two and web one had such intrinsic intrinsic misses that we don't even realize that right now. The fact that there was no, you know, economy built in or that the platforms earn so much and the creators who participate don't, who add value, who are the value, don't get get rewarded. You know, I, I felt like Web3 is changing a lot of wrongs and I love that optimism about it. You know, I love the culture that's driving this technological movement, you know, and I always say don't judge a technology by its first generation. So it's like we just have to have that optimism and know that there's so many smart people working on really big problems. Like you don't have to buy into the whole thing. I think you could still remain skeptical about certain areas of it and you need to. Um, but I think the overarching, the culture is, is what attracted me so much.
1: Well, listen, I agree with you. I mean, my view is, is I'd rather have people be skeptical than indifferent, right? Mm. Because at least skeptical, people want to engage and talk. And, you know, mm. people can change their opinions. Indifference is the worst. Right. You know, yeah. um, when I was at Wired, people used to say either I love Wired or I didn't realize it's still in business. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, <laughs> right. And it's like, you know, or they'd hold really strong opinions against certain things. And it's like I loved that the worst is the people who are just like, I don't really care. Right. Like, yeah. or, I don't want to talk. And, um, you know, I I. I, I agree. I think that there's areas of the space that still need ma- way maturing, right? Yeah. But take take we're in generation mm-hmm. one, right? Um, I would say we're in the prodigy compuserve era of Web three, right? Um, tech is still dominating. We shouldn't be talking about terms like NFTs and and blockchains, right? We have to be talking about experiences, and it has to be really easy. Uh, how do you see certain elements of Web3 evolving over the coming years? Like give
0: paint for everyone sort of your vision. Where, where do you see it going? I don't, I you know, the term metaverse, whatever that even means really. But, you know, I think that's fairly unstoppable. Like I, I was looking just for another um, talk I was giving, on average it's like six hours and 56 minutes or 58 minutes spent a day online. And people are just going to want more immersive experiences as part of their online lives. I I just, I don't see that disconnecting. Um, So I think, you know, where I see AR, I love AR. I always think it's just so fun. Like, I don't know, a little um, plug for for the ABBA voyage or the ABBA experience that's in London right now. It's incredible. You literally feel like you're seeing them. You would know that my husband is Swedish that I'm saying that. But um, I think, you know, I, I look at the metaverse and think that that's going to happen now what time that is gonna you know the the length of time is going to take the devices to get there and also the use cases like there just aren't enough use cases for the metaverse right now I think um but like I was talking to somebody yesterday who's in the area of sustainability and fashion and they were saying that companies that use VR as part of their trying on pre-purchase have a lower, um, return rates so on average a return rate could be up to 20 percent so they have a lower return rate which which decreases you know cost of sending a, a products or even in fast fashion i haven't got this verified now so but that you know with fast fashion it can be more costly to put that item back into the system so then it can just go sometimes to waste so and um, something like that i get really excited about it. and like, that can actually solve a real need within the industry that i'm within or or training, for example, like, you know, in, in, in the medical industry, I think you're seeing more use cases. So I just don't see that not developing. I really, it's just a case of, of, of the timing. And then I think more on kind of the ideas of, of of ownership. Um, you know, you see what, what Instagram did, it's just becoming more ubiquitous. The, I think Reddit, Instagram have done a lovely job of of onboarding people and that's been the biggest problem. Particularly for, for women, from our research I've seen, women are more reluctant to move into space because they are uncertain how to set up their wallets and, and make sure that it's secure and all, all these, these different things. So the companies that can bring people on in a really seamless way that kind of again makes the technology invisible um, are you're gonna have these big moments like the Reddit onboarding three million or like the Starbucks um initiative. You're going to have those types of moments. They're going to bring people in, um, but I think it's it's all about you know the use cases and the displaying of your digital items. Like where maybe this comes back to Arch- architectural digest. But once you buy your your digital fashion, so much of fashion is about display. So where where do you put that? How can you display it? How can you how can that be a part of your flex? You know. Um, so to me, it's a it's a case of I've no doubt this is going to come is going to come quicker than we think it is like recession we're facing potentially like i was I, I listening to economists saying that it, we could be looking then a 10-year recession which was nice and um, optimistic but you know the bear market is also called the build market and there's a reason because people are more focused you know you don't have that mad chaotic building you have very focused use cases being being developed and so i think that's over the next few years, we'll just see these these elements being refined, and more brands coming in, and the, the technology becoming more invisible, and um, as the culture of, of Web three becomes more ubiquitous, like within Web two as well. Like, look at Substack; that's a Web two product, but it has a culture of Web three. You know, um, just a thought. Yeah. So so, and I think, or like you know, Balenciaga is is, is another. I'm not sure if I if I said that Balenciaga Balenciaga have been making their I literally just did a session, so forgive me if I mentioned no. this already. No. no. So Valenciaga is is a is a brand of a very old-fashioned house, and you look at them, and there, there's elements of them that I see this culture within. You know, they they reinvigorated their couture, so they had closed their, their couture short their couture um, capabilities, and they uh, opened a landmark couture store, basically preserving the Valenciaga heritage but also democratizing couture to to a group of people that might never might never have access to couture. And I think for them is like they wanted to bring the brand closer to people to share the artistry of it all and get closer to to the creatives um, through this through this couture offering. So something like that I see again this kind of getting closer, having a, a, a closer relationship to your community democratization of, of products and uh, while still being exclusive, but you know, there is an opening up and I I really love that.
1: I do too. I mean, you bring up Balenciaga, like, tell me, tell me a brand that as you've been in your web three journey has blown your mind in terms of their sort of uh, entry in.
0: Who's really impressed Uh, you? Who's really impressed me? I think from a brand perspective, um, like it's not very original, but the Artifact are just amazing. I think they're just a Nike, obviously for ident- i I met the, I met kind of my equivalent at, at Nike and I was just like, kudos to you for identifying Artifact. And I was like, so if there was another Artifact, who would it be? <laughs> um, they're just, they're such an amazing team and they, they're you know, I often say this to you, I feel like their heart is in the right place. Um, and they've just done such incredible things. I think Nike is, has brought Web3 into their world and their world into Web3, which is not always the strategy that that you get. Usually, it's just one way, um, and they've done that through like really intelligent twinning, being really creative, bringing the community in, and and really allowing I think artifact to lead lead the way. Like, and with that is a release of control, I guess. Um, but trusting this this team to interpret what your brand is to this different kind of culture i think you know they're they're just a fantastic team so did you identify another artifact no he was like that's a great that's a great question i'll come back to you he never did
1: okay so how about this who's a brand that you look at the way that i looked at you and i was like arc digest you got to do this Mm -hmm. right what's a brand that you look at that you're like god this would be a perfect entry into web3 for this reason and this is what i would do and non-conde related non-conde related
0: i do this all the time i
1: think about these brands and i'm like oh yeah this would be a dream
0: i think any brand that has a product you know like like they have you know like glasses or a bag or or something like that um I think there's so much opportunity to bring people into the space through the physical products. Um, I think that's, that's like in general, um, I'm really excited about, you know, the world of women project. I think what they could do with bringing, bringing women in, in into the space and collaborating with people, I think there's a huge opportunity there. And, you know, the, you look at the amount of brands that have been created recently, the, the biggest beauty brands, the, um, some of the biggest fa- fashion brands recently have been based off value, value based, you know, brands with a real clear face of the brand. And I think the world of women have a great opportunity there. Um, but there's nothing I guess I'm just too busy thinking about how to bring Conde Nast in. I mean, it's it's
1: not a small company. And, and you know, for um, most people outside of it, they think Conde Nast Traveler. They don't think New Yorker, Wired, Ars Technica, Pitchfork, exactly. all that stuff. Um, OK, where do you get your inspiration? Like, what do you read? What do you engage with? Like what podcast do you listen to? Like I oh, you know, yeah. I think it's important that people understand how you're getting yourself educated. I find that it's not easy, right? You kind of have to yeah, take it on yes. yourself. And so, like, how do you get educated on this on this space?
0: So I do a little plug, but absolutely true. I read Vogue Business, numero Uno. Um I listen to Bankless and All In podcasts, and All in sometimes has like things that are really related, like for example, I was listening to All In about the growth of the different platforms and Snap in particular, and just thinking about the growth of the of the platforms like Twitter and, and, and Snap and TikTok and how that's going to relate. Um, or they'll talk about Apple and the fees that Apple, Apple will be taking. And I just keep thinking about how that's going to relate to Web3. So, and Bankless, I think is great. It's just, you know, they have those deep dive moments with leaders within space, but then they have the roundups that are, that are super helpful. Um, I'll read NFT now. I think High Hi Snobiety has done some great content and they've done some really great reports. There was this luxury consumer report that I, I, I thought was just fantastic. I'd recommend it to loads of people. Um, and then it's just like following a lot of people on Twitter, isn't it?
1: Yeah. You know? No, no. I, I mean, I, I, I'd say to people all the time, the best way to learn is usually in Twitter spaces, right?
0: Yeah. Twitter space, and like the only way, that I'd say the same, the only way to learn, I, I think is to, if you can buy your first NFT and join a community. Like I learned my first NFT really was the MFR community. I, well, it wasn't even their their community because it wasn't actually created by that team. It was created by the followers of them. Oh, stop it. <laughs> I love it. I don't know why. I just I just really connected with that community. So I was always in there. Like I'm not really very... um. An active social media person in general, um. So I'm just like reading and watching, and you know, I'm the the lurker in the background, you know.
1: But what what connected for you with MFers? Because I can tell you what, like I, I found it to be a really fun. I just find it to be a really fun
0: community. Yeah.
1: But like for you, yeah, like was, what was it?
0: It was, I think, the irreverence of it all. Because I think at that point, people were taking like community just so seriously and even the word you know yourself it's kind of diluted with the with the the amount of times you read about it or people talk about their communities um, and I think they just came out of it like like obviously it was it was just this kind of the fact was you know play on Satoshi and then you had you know he didn't that the Satoshi character Saratoshi didn't want to go into the community to validate it at all but like he just wanted to grow or she wants to grow or they all on its own. And I love that as well. It wasn't this real like strategic, you know, marketing plan of how to grow communities felt very organic and fun and, and irreverent at a time where people were taking it very seriously.
1: I, I felt the same way, you know, um, uh, they, because nobody knows who, who the individual was behind. Yeah. They, were, they were very lovely and active on, on Twitter until they decided that they wanted to exit out. And I had this mm. fantasy I wanted to launch a collection of the Time 100 MFers of the past century, right? And just have that collection depicted as individuals, right? Over, over that. And I thought that it would be a really fun airdrop. But as, as we were having the exchange on Twitter, uh, in DMs, uh, they chose, you know, that they were going to exit out of the community altogether and let yes. this go. But, you know, like Maya Drazen, who you know very well and has been my partner for nearly 20 years, you know, finds it equally as irreverent and fun of a community, right? And I think that that, mm-hmm. that is what attracts all of us to it, right?
0: Yeah, and it, it doesn't take itself too too seriously, which which I really enjoyed about it. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the one, and then M- Moonbirds as well, but but it probably it's it's a bit more structured. And I guess it was just the MFs it just had that unique quality. It just you know, it happens. So. But.
1: so- I have, I have two last questions for you, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go with one, this one first, only because my favorite moment of this entire conversation, which I'm going to repeat a million times over, was I was just trying to keep our baby alive, and my husband was buying JPEGs, which was, who owns Who owns more JPEGs today, you or your husband? Uh, he does. Okay.
0: Yeah. By yeah, a lot? He, by a lot? Um. Buy a lot, yeah. I'd say he's got about a third more, maybe. Two, no, yeah, maybe half, fifty more, percent more. He he was on it earlier than me, and he kind of would go in and like go all in and buy like a bunch, and then he'd move on to the next project. And and he's 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 like held a lot of them as well.
1: but are you? Do you both have the same strategy?
0: Uh, you know, I I think you kind of have to go what feels authentic to you, you know, um, because then you don't really regret it if it if it slides do you know what i mean so we would never give each other um we 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 do run a kind of an investment portfolio together but then on the nft side we just do our our own thing (laughs) and and what's the absolute favorite your absolute favorite nft
1: that you own period
0: my my moonbird it's really? so cute. Yeah, it's so cute. It's because it got it's this it's just it's this real like little cutie pie moonbird that's just up to tricks and this like it's in this pink background. It's quite feminine, I guess, but um, it just looks like it's 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 planning something, and I enjoy that.
1: Amazing. <laughs> now, now, my final question is is this, which is, um, first, you know, thank you so much for entertaining this invitation to come on and have this conversation. It's my pleasure. I, it's I, always a pleasure, Keith. I, I just, I think the world of you and I want everyone to see how brilliant you are. Oh, and you. Um, what would be your advice to someone who says, I don't really understand what's going on in Web3. I can see that something is happening. I do but I just don't know where
0: to start. Mm. How would you guide them? I think, you know, I've gotten this a bit, um, one of, I think, the best podcasts on the, on, is, there's two, actually. I think it's, it's a bandless one with Mark Andreessen and Chris Dixon. And it's really quite long and it just goes into like the, the human nature of it all and the, precedence that's been set in history that makes this all very understandable so something like that i think you see it as a far bigger it's a bigger part of a picture you know so i think like that or the tim ferris one with chris dixon and naval is is excellent as well as a kind of moment where you get to understand this is a cultural movement and and i think like i've actually recommended the bitcoin white paper because it actually shows the simplicity of the whole thing as well you know and when you read that you might not know all, all the terms but you you that's, that's it. Like that's, and everything's based off that. So it actually kind of demystifies it a a little bit, but I also tell people you don't have to know how the blockchain works to understand this space. It's all about the cultural element of it. Um, so yeah, generally I direct people to those two podcasts who might know anything about the space because I think it, it's, it frames it as part of human behavior and it stops it being this weird niche thing over here about JPEGs. And well, I can just right click and save it, and then that's I've got the thing, you know.
1: And let me ask you this: if people want to follow you, following this discussion, how can they find you on Twitter?
0: Um, I am um, I got Kira H Byrne, C I A R, a real Irish name spelt in a bonkers way to keep everybody on their on their toes. Um, yeah so c-i-a-r-a-h-c burn and it's a little moonbird as I've just said there we go there she is in all her glory um, in all her glory
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so that's me. Kira thank you so much I appreciate you coming on today
2: hi thanks for listening to this podcast if you enjoyed listening I've got a free membership waiting for you If you want to understand the future of everything, then understanding digital assets is the key. We're not ever going back to a pre-crypto world. Blockchain technology is transforming literally everything, from communities to healthcare to real estate to, well, everything. That's why in 2020, we launched Real Vision Crypto, the world's premier cryptocurrency and digital assets video channel. Right now, Real Vision Crypto is helping more than 300,000 members around the world understand the biggest wealth creation opportunities in a generation and maybe of all time. And even better, Real Vision Crypto is completely free. All you need to do is input your email address and you get full access to all of the videos and the incredible emails too. Please visit realvisioncrypto.com. That's realvisioncrypto.com and start learning about this incredible world.